And this morning, what I want to talk about is, in a sense, is that the commitment that Christ makes to us, but then the response that we make. And last week we did, we talked about the idea of uh, what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. We're halfway through Mark's gospel, and um, in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, and it's been building to this where people are asking, well, who is Jesus? What, what, what is, what is this man? Who is this man? And uh, Peter says, you're the Messiah. And it's kind of like, yes, you're the Christ, you're the leader, you're the one we've waited for. And um, immediately, as we talked about last week, Jesus sort of disrupts Peter's own imaginings about what that would mean. And then as a result of Jesus declaring who he is, he then makes an invitation to come and join his path, his work. And we're going to pick it up. Um, I think actually what I'll do is I'll read the whole so you get the, the sort of the sweep of it through. Some of you will remember this from last week. So I'm going to pick it up at verse 27 of chapter 8. So it's just uh, perhaps the little piece before. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter Get behind me, Satan, he said. You don't have in mind the things, the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it? For you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul. Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? If any of you are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Last week, we um, ended it by talking about this idea that um, one of the names that is given to us uh, to describe who we are is Christian. It was a kind of a nickname um, that people gave to the early followers of Jesus. Um, but that's a reminder. The Christian bit is sort of like we are the followers of the Christ. We're followers of the Messiah. We're the followers of the one who is the leader. But it's kind of interesting, listening to Steve just talk about his uh, sort of conversation with those guys last week at the football. Um, sort of this idea of not only why would you go to church? You know, that sort of first re response is, well, you work for churches. You put sound systems in churches. Do you have to go? As though there can be no other reason why you'd choose to go. <laughs> it's just business. So we're, we're living in a culture where actually 
it seems so far removed, this idea seems so far removed from the normal run of events that, well, why would you? So church is alien. But then this language of, are you a Christian? In some ways, I think the language of Christian has become a little devalued as well. It's kind of like, well, we live in a Christian nation. Everybody's a Christian. Or Christians are certain types of people. And the danger is that at the best, Christian can sound like, can sound like I'm a fan of Jesus. And we talked about the difference between a fan and a, and a player last week. The original sort of description of people who were following Jesus, you know this, was disciple. That was the original phrase. Disciple was a learner and a follower. And you learnt by following. It's interesting that in this idea of Jesus and his disciples, and he's going to invite people to become a disciple, that in the idea of disciples, it wasn't that, you'd, uh, that the teacher would just teach you stuff. So it wasn't so much that the rabbi, the teacher, would pass on information to those who would follow. It was much more the idea that the teacher would say, in the light of what you know, because the idea was that up to the age of 12, you would have learned the Torah. By the time you were bar mitzvahed, you'd kind of knew it. So it wasn't that we were going to give you more information. It's actually that what the rabbi is doing is saying, how are you going to live this out here? And the conversations in the Jewish context between rabbis and followers was, well, how do we do it now and here and in this context? And what do we do about that? And what do we do about this? In other words, the rabbi was going to give you a new perspective. And um, just to say some obvious stuff about the way Jesus teaches, Jesus doesn't have a classroom. Jesus never says to them, now get your scrolls out. He never says, could you write this down? Jesus is always walking somewhere or going somewhere and the disciples are going with him. Not an unusual sight at that time. The idea, I mean, it can sound a little odd now, but you'd have sort of this Rabbi Jesus and 12 guys tagging along. Not unusual. Because what's going on along the way? Well, you're walking at two miles an hour, three miles an hour perhaps. What do you do while you're walking? You talk. And we know there's sort of story after story after story of the disciples lagging behind going, I'm not sure where we're going. I don't know what's going on here. I have no idea. Or arguing about, well, who do you think is the best disciple around here? You know. And other times when they're going to ask Jesus direct questions. All in the journey. So when you think about yourself, I wonder, this can sound like really strange, but if someone was to ask you, what religion are you? I wonder how it would be if you said, actually, I'm a disciple of Jesus. That's why I am. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Because I'm a learner and I'm a follower. And I learn by following. Because I talk about this lots of times, and you'll have heard me say this, but I'm kind of really hoping I haven't done this with you before, because otherwise you get bored. But that's a definition that I, I use when I'm out and about the place helping churches and people think through. You need a definition of what a disciple is. 
And that's the definition that I've, I've said before. You've heard me say it before, but I don't think I've used a slide. A disciple is someone learning to live the way of Jesus in their context at this moment. Now, it's more than that, but it's not less than that. A disciple is someone learning to live the way of Jesus in their context at this moment. Now, if you want to disagree with me, do it. well, don't. Um, <laughs> I was going to say do it after, but don't. don't I'm not even. But, but let's just go with that for a moment. What's the advantage of that as a definition? What's the advantage of that? It's current. Okay, you're, you're, it's present tense. You're learning. It's an ongoing learning. What else is the advantage of it? It's practical. In my context, the context I'm in right now, you know, as a father of little children or a father of adult children or a worker, a worker whose line managers resigned and the business is in stress, what am I learning about the way of Jesus? What are the other advantages of that as a definition? Pardon? It's right. You can come everywhere I go. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it, it, it does, it does reflect some of the New Testament idea. This is actually what Jesus is wanting to do. I want you to learn my way. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's not a set of beliefs that are kind of static, but it's something you're, you're learning as you go. You know, that, that first song we sang, I love that first song, that, uh, the, the Creed song. I kind of would almost like us to sing it every time because I think there's something good about nailing. This is where we stand. This is what we hold to. But you know, the truth is you can believe it and not actually practice it. You can believe it but not practice it. I'm learning the way. It's not about some abstract concepts, but I'm trying to live this. Any other advantages of it? Yeah, it's, it's not just about tradition. It's not just about, yeah. It's not, yeah? Yeah. You start where you are. You start in your context. There's no one size fits all. And it's not a course. You know, you don't do a sort of 12-week discipleship course and then I'm done. Because to be honest, you know, and I know this, pretty much all the time you're facing new situations you've not been in before. And you're asking, you, your challenge is all the time, what does it mean to learn the way of Jesus now? And of course, it assumes things like Jesus' way is not our natural way. It assumes that actually we want to put ourselves in a relationship with Jesus where we want to learn this. It assumes that we're actually going to get to grips with Scripture. It assumes we're going to be praying and hearing. It assumes that actually this is an ongoing life. You didn't sign up to a set of beliefs. You signed up to a person. You didn't sign up to a set of beliefs. You signed up to a person. You signed up to a master. You signed up to a Lord. You signed up to one who said, I want you to walk with me and I want you to learn from me here and now. And it makes sense of the best of days and it makes sense of the worst of days. Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, this is what it means to be a disciple. The passage splits quite neatly to three demands, three reasons, one warning, and one promise. And that's kind of what I want to just look at 
uh, for a moment. <laughs> I think that's how Jesus and his disciples must have looked. It's like, we don't know if you come at teachers or muggers. Um, but <laughs> three demands, three reasons, one warning, one promise. What are the demands? This is the way Jesus begins it. Interestingly, he says, um, he calls a crowd and his disciples. It's one of the times where it's not about calling special people, just certain people. It's actually whoever. He calls the crowd and the disciples and says, whoever wants to be my disciple must, three things, deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. The first thing I want to say about this is, this is not a reason to be miserable. All right? And the second thing is, taking up your cross is not... You know how some people use it like a metaphor? They say, oh, my arthritis, it's just the cross I have to bear. It's not. That's not what Jesus is talking about at all. You know that. So what are the three things? Well, at their simplest, it's this. Firstly, you stop being the center of the universe. You stop being the center of the universe. One of the first things that happens to you when you start to follow Jesus is you recognize it's not all about you. The moment you surrender, and it's kind of like if you get that picture that you kneel before Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, is the moment where you go, my life is not about making my life better. The biggest conversion that happens, the biggest turnaround is turning around from you to turn around to Jesus. And actually, that's the biggest piece of salvation that happens in that sense. Because when it's all about you, the problem is your world becomes too small and it all becomes too shriveled and it all becomes inward looking. It's just about me. What about me? <laughs> and Jesus says, actually, if you're going to follow me, the first thing you do is say, I'm going to deny myself. It's not about me first. I'm going to go your way, Jesus, and I'm going to recognize that that will have certain implications for me. And I don't know about you, but that is one of the things that I keep battling with all through my own life. Because I would rather have a God who would be at my command. I would rather have a God who would just sort of say, Neil, what would you love? Let me give you what you'd love. Rather than a God who says, Neil, will you follow me? I'd rather have a God who said, I'm here to serve you. How can I best serve you? And I could say, well, actually, I'm having a bit of a hard time. Can you make it a little better? Certainly, Neil. That's the sort of God I want. And what he does is he flips it around and he says, will you come and deny yourself? Secondly, and it sort of now becomes clear, will you take up your cross? So what is this cross? Well, this isn't about a physical ailment. It's not about the sort of the, the situations that we may or may not face. It's actually, will you pay the price? And it was a very visual thing, and I don't need to go into any great detail because you get it, but it's such a visual thing because the Romans found that the cross was the most efficient killing machine that they had. And pretty much, day by day or week by week, everybody in that culture would have seen people on crosses. It wasn't unusual. You know, when we think about the cross, we only ever think about Jesus. But actually, what you've got to recognize is that it was just like a, a continual way of dealing with those people who stood against the state. It was just a continual way of dealing with people who said, we don't want to go your way. 
And Jesus says, will you come and follow me and will you take up your cross and will it not be about you? Will you follow me? Will you be mine? This is what it means to be a disciple. I wonder if, uh, if you just thought about, well, think about the things you've prayed for this week and the things you've prayed about and the way you've prayed about them. And it's not to make any of us feel guilty, but it's just to sort of ask, you know what you think of your relationship with God when you work out how you've been praying this week? And let's be honest, there's a whole stack of goodness in the prayers that start, oh, God, help. (laughs) That's how many of us pray. But actually, if that's all our prayer is, what's your vision of God and what's your relationship with him? But the context of saying, okay, God, here I am. How can I be used? It's a very different sort of relationship. He then gives three reasons in very quick, in very quick succession about why this life is better. Because, he says, you can be successful. At at the end of the day, you can be successful at things that don't really matter. Listen to how Jesus says it. Um, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for you to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? What can you give in exchange for your soul? That word soul is the same word as life. And it's not a bit of you. It's the whole of you. How do you try? How do I try and protect my life? Try and protect it by not letting people close. If I can keep myself protected then I keep it. Or we exchange it for success. We give ourselves to something that is not worth it or we devalue it because we say, well, actually, rather than follow Jesus, I'll try and get something better. Jesus says to his disciples, if you lose your life for me, if you give away yourself, you will find it. If you spend your life on behalf of others. If you are there for the sake of others, you will find it. And then he goes on to say, if if any of you are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This verse and the next verse begin to be a little bit more, "Mm, what's Jesus mean there? Well, I think the first thing is, you've got to recognize that he's talking to the people in front of him first. And what he's saying is, if you, these people who are going to see Jesus rejected and put on a cross, he's going to say, if you are ashamed of being associated with that, with my perceived weakness, with my perceived loss, if you can't go that way with me, then you will miss out. You will miss out on the relationship, when the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. It's a reference. The, the reference that would be in their minds is in Daniel, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Let me just quickly give you some very quick background and keep it as straightforward as I can. Daniel is a book in the Old Testament that is really trying to help people live faithfully in a culture that wasn't faithful to God. 
and it's stories. You, you, you remember, if you've read the book of Daniel, you know that half of Daniel's great because you've got the brilliant heroic stories, Lion's Den, Furnace, all the rest of it. And then the other half of Daniel's just weird. It's all the visions, and it's kind of like we read the first half going, that's fantastic, and then from chapter 7 onwards we go, I don't get it. But in a sense, the two halves of the book are doing the same thing, and they're asking the questions, or they're answering the question that essentially about these. What does it mean to be faithful to God in a culture that's not? And what's God doing? And the stories about, are about how to be faithful and the visions are, has God given up on us? And what happens in chapter 7 is this transition uh, uh, chapter where one of the things that happens is that Daniel has a vision and he sees God on the throne. And then he sees one like the son of man who comes towards the throne and the father says to you, I'm going to give you the kingdom. And that passage, those verses haunted Jewish believers and then Christian believers. And it haunted them because they were working out, what does that mean? And when Jesus comes, one of the titles he uses of himself, of course, is son of man. And it was one of those phrases that had any number of meanings. It could just mean me. But actually, it had that hidden double meaning. It's like an echo of a song you knew. It was like the, the sort of the resonance of something that you'd heard before. And suddenly, you could hear Jesus saying, it's me. I'm the one that the Father will give the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom, to the kingdom that will never end, the kingdom... And you that are struggling to stay faithful in your culture, look at me. So when Jesus says to his disciples here, listen, if you're ashamed of the cross because you think it's pathetic and we've lost and we've backed the wrong horse, then actually you'll miss out on the relationship of the kingdom when I come because it's through the cross that the kingdom and the newness begins. Does that make sense? I think what Jesus was saying is, there's no other way except the cross. There's no other way than the perceived weakness. There's no other way than God's people. It was great when Neff spoke. And it felt a bit like, never, as you're starting to speak there, mate, it, it felt a bit like the blues. It was like, you know, there's just one thing after another after another. But then the chorus broke in <laughs> where you went, but actually, do you know what? Belonging to these people gives me hope. And Ian says something very similar. He says, look, life's not been that great, but actually things are different. And recognizing what God's done, but actually recognizing us, and this morning, quite nicely, they're sitting together. <laughs> All right, now here's the thing. Just look around. Because <laughs> we're not the brightest and best. <laughs> I was. We're just a bunch of people who, through any number of ways, have been brought together. Some of us have been around for decades. 
<laughs> Some of us have been sitting here for decades, sitting here, having abuse. Some of us... Some of us have been here less than six months. Pun? Dog watch. And it's easy for a world to dismiss a church. Because we're just ordinary, very ordinary. Some of us are older, some of you are younger, some of us feel like we're too busy, we're just stressed, and da 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 It's easy to overlook. But God says, this is one of the ways I want to demonstrate what will, the life could be like. This is one of the ways I want to look at the world. And if you're, if you're embarrassed about the ways of God, you'll miss out on the blessings of God. If you're embarrassed about the ways of God, you'll miss out on the blessings of God. And then when you hear that, it makes perfect sense of the next verse. The final verse. I tell you, Jesus says, some of you are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Because he said, now, people have asked, well, what on earth does Jesus mean at that? Some people have said, well, perhaps he's talking about the transfiguration, which is just about to happen. Well, that's only six days away. It's kind of like, well, Jesus, that's an easy prophecy to get right. Some of you will not taste death because you'll be alive in six days. No. And some people have gone, well, actually, what he was expecting is the kingdom of God to come when Jesus returns. And some people have said, well, he got that wrong, didn't he? But actually, I think if you follow the passage through, it makes perfect sense. I tell you, some of you, you will not taste death before you see the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the pouring out of the Spirit, the Spirit going from Jerusalem through to Samaria, through to the ends of the earth. You will be part of it because that's what the kingdom of God breaking in looks like, where the kingdom of God becomes the kingdom of this world, where the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our God. Actually, you will be part of it. You're wrapped up into it. And that seems to me to make perfect sense of that verse now. Some of you, he's saying to it, those disciples, this crowd, these people who don't quite get it, Evil, you're going to be part of it. And so we ask ourselves, how does it make sense of your life and mine? And if I said four things, it would be this. Firstly, lay down your life. Stop being at the center. And for those of you who have prayed that prayer many times over the years, keep on praying it. It's not all about you. Allow you to die and allow Christ to live. Secondly, follow Jesus into life. Begin by saying, actually, this idea of becoming a Christian, being a Christian, is not about coming to church. It's not about belonging to church. That's not primarily what it's about. This relationship is primarily about I'm learning the way of Jesus in the context that I find myself in right now. That's the prayer. That's the task. And I'm going to start to learn what it means to follow the way of Jesus. Thirdly, don't get duped into valuing your life on the basis of the relationships you have, the house you have, the career you have, the performance at work, or your popularity, or your family. It's easy for some of us, because I think we're all the same. For some of us to think, actually, if I'm not doing as well as I think I ought to be at this stage of my life, somehow it's failed. And we put too much pressure on ourselves and we put too much weight on things that cannot, cannot carry that weight. Your relationships, 
your home, your career, the performance at work, your popularity, your family. Tim Keller said, they will never be strong enough to cover the stain of the fear of insignificance. In other words, that sense of, I'm important because. And actually, Jesus says, don't get duped into selling your life for something that is not worth it in the end. What's worth it? Well, it is following Jesus. It's praying that the kingdom will come, that God's rule will be around, and that you'll be part of it. You see, Jesus didn't save you just so you can go to heaven. Jesus didn't save you just so you can go to church. Jesus saved you to bring you into the kingdom and say, this, the kingdom of God is breaking out in your families, in your workplaces, in your neighborhood, and he wants to use you and me. And it's that process of being a disciple all the way through. I can be used for the purpose of God. Three reasons. What was it? I can't remember. <laughs> three demands. Three, three demands. Three reasons. One warning. One promise. I wonder what you need to hear out of that. It's ever so warm. We got a friend from... Uh, Georgia, in the United States of America, um, Sam and Natalie's uh, uncle. We wanted to make it as warm as it was at home. But, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> as you were listening, what were you thinking? As you were listening, what were you thinking? My beautiful assistant will come and... Uh, this, this morning on the way, we noticed um, a car boot sale. And um, I think that's why I felt so thankful that was here, because um, there's, lo there's loads of things going on at the moment that could really get us down and bind us and stop us, and, and they are stressing us. Um, but I was just so thankful I was here and not doing that, because I said to Arthur, they think we're mad going to church. My brothers think I'm mad going to church, but... But no, they're the ones that are mad, really. And, and it's just so thankful that, for that call, yeah. you know, and the, the, that we have said over and over again, Lord, we want you to have our lives. Yeah. So thank you, Neil, yeah. for that reminder Good. this morning. Someone else, what were you thinking? Anybody else? Hi. Um, Welcome. Uh, thank you. Hello, it's my first time. <laughs> what, what's your name? Hannah. Hannah. And I'm Dan. Nice to meet you both. It's great to have you with us. Um, I really like the explanation of what taking up the cross means because that can be quite complicated and feel like you, you should be taking on burdens or whatever mm -hmm. that means. But having it as a symbol of resistance against the system, I found quite inspiring and... Um, I don't know if anyone else is watching Handmaid's Tale, but the visuals there mm. where there's lots of people suffering against the system and that idea of carrying the cross, being prepared to stand up against the system, 
it just is more motivating rather than be burdened down by yeah, something. Yeah, that's a that's a, and that, yeah. Thank you for the the parallel with the handmade cell. That's a great parallel. Anybody else? What are you thinking? What does it make you feel? I was just thinking about a time when I was younger, I'd cycled, this is when I lived near the beach, the idyllic life that it was, um, but yeah, I'd cycled down to sort of prom, cycled all the way along the prom, got down to like this beach where there's cliffs and left the bike at the top of the cliffs and um, I don't know what had happened but the bike fell and the wheel got bent. And I just remember pushing this bike all the way home. And it wasn't I was being a martyr to the cause or anything, going, oh, you were stupid, you shouldn't have left it the way you did. You know, it was just one of those things, what do you do? You push the bike home. And I remember getting home and my dad saying, why didn't you just call me? You know, and it was just that sort of realisation that I didn't actually need to go through, you know, this sort of five-mile trek pushing <laughs> this bent bike home. There was a really obvious solution and... It was, I just hadn't thought of it, you know, I just didn't even think of, you know, finding a phone box as it would have been then and phoning my dad. But, you know, in a sense, that's the offer that God's got there for you as yeah. well. So it's not yeah. about taking on burdens. Gritting your teeth and, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, anybody else? Last couple. I suppose I'm kind of interested in... Um, and what does it make you want to pray? What does it make you want to pray? Oh, Becky just likes the power. Um, it makes me want to, 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 first of all, to say sorry. I think that's my, my first response is, I know that this is, this is a high calling, isn't it? This is not about being better, and that's no. ne we're never going to be good enough to earn the, the God's love, but it is a high calling to deny yourself. It's so countercultural, and it's so against our own human uh, desires, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely against our natural way. And uh, my first reaction is, I'm not good. I'm, I'm not doing this all the time. I'm not doing it all the time. There's lots of areas where I want to. I don't want to deny myself. I want to keep feeding myself, actually. Um, and so it's a constant, like you said before, you know, it's, it's a constant. That's why we do communion every week because it's constant. I need to keep coming back to the cross, saying I'm, I'm not doing it. Mm. And I'm, you know. But then, secondly, it makes me, you know, what, have that resolve of actually, what, who else is around me? If, I, if I'm denying myself, who am I? Who am I giving my life to? Yeah. And Jesus doesn't want us just to come and sing songs of adoration, does he? he wants us to, to spend it on other people. Yeah. That's part of it, isn't it? It's, we adore Jesus by, we worship Jesus by serving other people. Yeah. And it's that, those two things, it's like, it's the two massive callings, aren't they? Yeah. And it's not, again, it's not about being a burden and feeling sorry for yourself. It's just the reality of yeah. the calling of, yeah. of Jesus, isn't it? Anybody else? How's it make, what does it make you want to pray? Claire. It's not so much um, a specific prayer. But all the time, I'm, I'm thinking of the song, um, Jesus Be the Center. Mm. And I would like to, 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 um, to sing that and to use that as a prayer and to really focus on the words of that because I think it's very apt to what you've been saying. That's all. That would depend on the worship leader being able to do that. I don't know. Um, uh, we, we might be able to do that. Yeah, Susie. But it, it kind of does encapsulate what we're saying. Jesus be the centre. 
I just find it really exciting, actually, that it's so often we get so caught up and we look inward, but actually to lift our eyes and see what God is doing, that is so exciting, and think, actually, Jesus, you're letting us in on these massive secrets that you've got for this world, and we always think that he wants certain things, but then actually we're looking at it through our own eyes, but actually to think, wow, Jesus, you are letting us in is quite incredible, really. Uh, yeah, and I, I find that that final verse that I read, you'll see the kingdom of God has come with power. Is It's kind of like, that's where this is heading. We're going to pray together. We hear your call, Lord, and we hear your promise. And those two things always go together. The call and the promise. The call to lay down because you've got something better. The call to give up because actually what you have is worth so much more. The call to lose something in order to gain something. Lord, today we would want to come together and we would want to pray that we, you would help us, your spirit within us would help us to lay down our own desires. That you, you would help us to deny ourselves. You'd help us to put ourselves second, not first. Lord, that we would spend ourselves for the sake of others. That, Lord, we might be used by you wherever we find ourselves, in the daily context, that we might be being shaped by you. We might be people who are learning together. Lord, will you help us as a church be a learning community? Will you help us to help one another to learn what it means to follow Jesus? Because, Lord, what we want to do is see the breaking in of the kingdom of God into our city, into our, this area, Lord, the families who are just stuck in cycles of behavior, Lord, we want to pray that we would see families saved and cycles broken. For people who just feel isolated and alienated and just on their own, Lord, I pray that people might find community through Jesus. And that because of that, they'll know they're loved and they're valued. Lord, we pray for the broken to be healed. We pray for those who are lost to be found. We pray for the poor to know the good news of Jesus. Lord, we give ourselves to this. We pray that this would be our life for your sake, for your kingdom, Lord. Take our lives, we pray, in the name of Jesus.